welcome back. I'm your host Aman and today I have another very special guest, Christian Els, Christ, Christian Els from Perfect. Germany and uh, he is the co-founder and CEO of Sentin AI and here's what Sentin does. I think they build AI software which does visual inspections and quality control in manufacturing and other industrial uh, use cases. So the the gist is in a lot of factories where you're producing stuff you have to do a visual inspection to check if you know things are right or wrong so it's a human labor intensive process and you also need trained people to do those visual inspections and there's no other way to really see to really make sure the quality control is up to that level right and so computer vision is a really great technology if you, if, if it can do you know that visual inspection intelligently enough right uh, so that's what in my in my limited understanding sentin does do you want to add to that Chris, christian <laughs> so hello everyone and uh, aman thank you very much for having me on the show um it's great being here and talking about um, ai computer vision especially in the uh, industrial environment and about our company sentin and um yeah from what you just explained um yeah, you, you covered like most of it, I would say. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the things that we specialize in is um, parts and infrastructures which are um, safety critical. So the inspections taking place in the industries that we're um, working in are mm-hmm. um, actually safety critical inspections, mm-hmm. which uh, requires to meet uh, certain specifications, certain standards within your quality control processes to actually do them. And that um, you know spices um, the um, the topic up a little bit because um, you know when you talk about automating systems based on AI technology, um, mm-hmm. um, really assisting human inspectors you in, in safety critical um, environments, you, you really want to make sure that these systems work and they work properly and robust. And that's something we have to be deal with uh, specifically in our case. So um, in our industries, um, like most of the time, we're talking about assisted um, inspection processes where we, um, you know, use our, our software technology that we bring into place to our customers that they can use to assist their inspection processes. So it's mm-hmm. like a part automation. Um, and one of the things I'd like to add also is that um, we focus heavily on image-based um, inspection processes. So the whole visual topic covers other um, te- techniques, uh, uh, you know, besides traditional camera images. There's also radiographic testing going on in industrial mm. applications, um, ultrasonics testing, which also produces um, image-like um, data, which needs to be interpreted. So um, everything where you know, a pixel-based representation is the result or part of the inspection process we uh, deal with um, to uh, build AI systems for um, that helps the human interpreter to do the work. Mm, I see. So it's not just uh, image-based, like visual inspection, but also things where you have to actually manipulate the image first, you know, see other frequencies, other wavelengths, and, uh, you know, use other kind of scans but it's still visual inspection, just not on the direct product, but also maybe there's some other uh, steps in between before the human sees what's on the screen. Right. 
Yes, I see. And it's so, it's 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 mm-hmm. like the interesting thing is what what goes on inside of the product and the parts in most cases. So it's not just the surface the surface that needs you know inspection to be done. It's also mm-hmm. the inside if there are certain porosity cracks or something like that. And that's like the the topics that we are de- dealing with a lot. Mm. So that's a good segue into you know let's actually talk about some case studies, right? So give me some examples of products or other manufacturing processes um, where, you know, this kind of inspection is really valuable and which are your main target customers. Like how do they use, you know, these processes? Give, give us some examples for some, you know, visual context. Right. So the biggest industry um, in our particular segment of um, safety critical inspection processes done with techniques like radiographic testing, ultrasonic testing, like things where we really see our USP with the technology um, that we have in place mm-hmm. is the oil and gas industry mm. or the petrochemical industry. Okay. Um, also the energy industry or manufacturing um, um, companies in the field of automotive and aerospace. But like the biggest chunk of the market is the petrochemical industry. So think of a refinery, for example, where you have lots of pipelines and pipes on that facility. You know, in most cases, it's thousands of kilometers um, of pipelines where, you know, liquids are transported with. And, um, you know, these pipes are connected with wells. And one of the things that you definitely want to avoid is that, you know, leakages um, within those uh, well joints actually um, take place and, you know, those fluids um, drain and, you know, cause severe uh, environmental damages. Mm -hmm. So um, these welds are being checked, you know, 100%. So, you know, once the weld is is done, there will be, you know, an inspector doing the inspection on that particular weld. And that, Mm -hmm. you know, takes place a lot in a refinery, having thousands of kilometers of pipelines. So what... Like our customer does the inspection work. So there's a human being shooting X-ray images of that um, weld, going back to his facility, um, developing that images. And then, you know, in most cases, we have dim- uh, digital images already, you know, yeah. giving that to a person who does the inspection of the interpretation of the image. Mm. So sitting in front of the computer, looking at the um, X-ray of the weld seam and, you know, searching for porosity, cracks, um, incomplete uh, penetration, you know, typical flaws or defects that you have in such a weld seam. And that is a work that, you know, requires a very repetitive, manual, human-based interpretation process Mm -hmm. that we assist with our software tools, uh, which basically does, you know, give hints uh, to the human interpreter, you know, where to, to look um, on the image um, and that actually, you know, um, gives annotations for certain defect types. So um, the human interpreter is much quicker to actually find those defects that um, he or she is looking for and then also evaluates those against a certain specification or standard. So we do have ISO standards, for example, that say, okay, you have found a porosity, congratulations, but you have to you know, check where it's located within the weld seam mm-hmm. and also what size it has. And our system does, you know, the whole process from finding those flaws and defects 
and evaluating them automatically against a certain spe specification which is required. And the well testing um, um, scenario is, is, is one that, you know, takes place in every big industrial facility, you know, where you have um, extensive uh, kilometers or, or lengths of pipelines, like chemical plants, petrochemical plants, which would be a typical use case for our application. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I can also imagine it in any kind of fluid handling type uh, scenario, right? In any factory, you have fluid handling of some kind. Uh, and some factories more than others, whether it's food production or, you know, some, like oil and gas, like you said. And uh, this, if you're just looking at, you know, make sure the pipes are not leaking, uh, that's a pretty universal use case by itself, right? Even outside of the oil, oil and gas uh, industry. Absolutely. And uh, one of the other um, things you definitely want to avoid um, in, in pipelines is corrosion. Um mm. You know, in, in, in big industrial facilities, the pipelines in most cases are, um, you know, insulated. So, um, you know, there is a certain coverage around these pipes. Yeah. And between the surface of the pipes and that coverage, you know, um, mm. you can have moisture, for example, and corrosion takes place. And you want to see that corrosion during your inspection processes without taking off, you know, all the insulation. Yeah. And X-ray, for example, can, mm. you know, or serves as a technique to actually see that on X-rays without, um, you know, having to take off all the insulation. So that's, you know, another use case that we're um, dealing with uh, where we look for corrosion um, under insulation. That's the name of a typical application. And that is also a case that happens a lot, um, you know, everywhere where you have liquids transported in a pipeline, basically. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay. And uh, just before we move on and dive deeper into this one, are there any other, you know, secondary large use cases uh, which you can tell us about before we you know, dive into it? Absolutely. Um, so um, right now we are, um, you know, quite focused on the uh, whole topic of industrial x-ray, which is, yeah. um, you know, which covers a lot of more use cases than the ones that I told you. Um, one of the things that you know, is getting more and more attention is the um, quality control of batteries that are mm. built into cars, um, you know, in in the whole um, e-mobility yep. um, 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 process. So that's something which is massively growing where, you know, the big uh, car manufacturers are looking for solutions to also automate um, those inspection processes not to get rid of the human inspector, but to be mm -hmm. more secure. Because what happens is, especially in manufacturing, where you have, for example, batteries um, being manufactured in, at higher numbers, um, there are only a few of them with defects. So, you know, imagine producing, um, I don't know, 20 to 30,000 batteries per day, and there might be one which shows a certain defect. Type. Yeah, it's Six Sigma, right? They, they have optimized everything to such a level where it's already far out on the you know standard deviations absolutely but you don't want to miss that one part right yeah because that could cause you know severe damages uh, when it build, gets built into cars um you know so having a human inspector you know looking at all these images um and then finding that particular one is very exhausting for um, the human interpreter so having a second opinion by an ai system for example helps him or her a lot to do um, um, those in types of inspections, um, you know, more securely and also with a, you know, better feeling of trust. 
And that's something that happens in manufacturing a lot, not only in battery um, testing, but also in testing of casting parts, for example, which are also um, tested with radiographic techniques. Um, CT computer tomography is also a topic which is, you know, on the rise, I would say, especially in automotive um, manufacturing or in the manufacturing of parts for automotive vehicles, uh, which is uh, getting more and more attention because you have a 3D representation of a part and you can really, you know, dive into that part and see what's going on in the part. So that's, but you, you want to, you know, you want to um, search for the same things as in, you know, well seams, for example, so certain yeah. defect types which are typical for a part, which you can uncover with radiographic testing and yeah. have digital formats of, uh, you know, image data, which needs to be interpreted. And um, those processes can be assisted or fully automated with AI te technology that we have. Mm -hmm. So what you, so what do they, what do these companies get from you? What do you provide and uh, what is the, how does the integration work? What's the workflow? Yeah. Yeah, so um, it is quite individual, um, mm -hmm. but um, I would try to, you know, give you a certain summary of the processes that yeah. we um, do and, uh, you know, from, from the mixture of, of projects that we've, we've done in the past. So the first step is that uh, we investigate the data situation, like we are, you know, we are providing AI systems, AI systems are learning systems, and we need uh, data to teach data. them. Although we already have, you know, pre-trained models in our company, which are based on, you know, tens or hundreds, even hundreds or thousands of, of images, we need to retrain those models. Or we have, you know, in some cases have to set up um, individual own models, new models mm. for a particular okay. customer, especially okay. when we talk about new applications. Yes. So that's the first thing. How much data is available? Um, how many images can you produce in a certain time? Just give us an impression. What is the actual data situation like in your company, and where can it, you know, be like in two, three, maybe six months? Just mm -hmm. to have a, you know, an impression of if it, you know, if this really is a case for a learning system, because yeah. we have to be realistic. You know, companies are looking for quick <laughs> wins, quick benefits, and they, you know. They're not ready to to invest, you know, years and you know, gathering images to to have an AI solution in place. I don't know, in three to yeah, four yeah. years from now, that yeah. that that yeah. doesn't work. So we we have to qualify our customer first based on the data um, situation that we have. Um, the second step is we really have to understand the testing procedure, like um, where. Uh, what are the defect types that you're looking for on the image? What is the specification you have to test after? Like, is it, is, is it an ISO specification? What is the acceptance level that you're looking at? Really understand what the human interpreter is doing, is looking for, and what the process is like. Because mm -hmm. what we want to, or like our highest goal is to, to really follow that human process and bring it into the digital world. To actually get the capability of automating it, so, so that's the second it's a part. Heavily, I see. So it's a, so far the first and second step. It's a very heavily consultative sales process, where just to get to the POC is a lot of work. Is a lot of hours that you you know spend to understand each you know factory's uh, like all the requirements. You know, the requirements definition is itself the long part, and then once you have the data or whatever, then you go to the next one. Absolutely, I would I, I wouldn't say that it's a, you know heavily 
Oh, oh, that is, you know, an extensive consulting part. It is a consulting mm. part, definitely. But mm. since we have a certain regulation that really, uh, which, which you know, works the same way on an international basis, mm. we do have things or, you know, specifics or requirements, um, you know, which apply on a world testing in America, um, but also, you know, in a chemical plant in Germany. So... There is a certain, you know, I would say uniformity. Uh, yeah. Absolutely, absolutely. Mm -hmm. But still, you're absolutely right. We have to do those, um, you know, we have to do that consultancy part because it also gives us um, an impression of what is the actual IT situation in the company. Like, what are <laughs> what are the systems you're using right now, and where do we need to integrate it? Yeah, yeah which is yeah. a massive part and a very important part to understand because. You know, we're not looking in, in, at an industry which is fully standardized in terms of um, IT environment, definitely mm -hmm. not. Mm -hmm. But once we have, you know, uh, more clarity on those things, we move on to the next step, which is we, um, we, we really adapt our technology stack to the um, inspection job that needs to be done and, f you know, build up new AI models based on our training pipeline that we have in place or use existing models that we have to retrain them to adapt them for the certain customer or his or her specific use case. So that is something which, especially when we look into the high scalable applications like well seam testing or corrosion detection, um, which can be done quite quickly. So... Um, you know, in some cases, we're really talking weeks because mm -hmm. we have like the technology in place. We have to feed in the data. We have to adapt our software um, a little bit to, you know, cover all the requirements um, from the customer. But we can be really quick on this. And what you get from that process is, you know, a detection system that is, you know, specifically adapted to your individual um, inspection job or image interpretation job. Let's put it that way. Which is a system that can be, you know, shown in, in a POC-like environment where you can feed a new data and we can validate, um, you know, how good the system is actually working, what we need to, um, you know, do in terms of retraining, what defect types we might feed into the data set to, to uh, you know, make the system more robust, but which works, you know, um, on, a, on, a, on a limited scale. So we, we're not looking at the system which is, you know, working on every computer um, um, in, in, at our customers. That's, mm -hmm. that's, but that's the step which is necessary to show our customers that the technology is working. And I totally understand their position because that's what gains trust, right? Once you have an AI system which I can, you know, show new images from the same application and get a certain, you know, amount of detection rate back, I really see, okay, um, the technology is working and it solves my problem. My problem, which is being more say, uh, secure and quicker on the image interpretation side. So mm. that's like the, I would say, as, as you call it, the POC step. Yep. Um, yep. And, you know, after that, we need to move on um, to get into uh, the, the production readiness. Production readiness means we really transfer that developed AI system into the actual process where it needs to be working in the future. Yep. And in most cases, what we experience is that 
even though we already got data from that particular process, once we bring it into the production environment, we see domain shifts, for example, a lot. Because um, maybe the images are um, acquired with another hardware than in the mm -hmm. um, data set where we did the training on. Mm -hmm. So we need to, um, to use retraining again to get the robustness for the production um, Wait, hang on a second. So, so you said that they, you see a lot of domain shift in terms of that the data that they give you, the golden data set, whatever they give you in the beginning to do the POC looks very different because of the variety or the types of data or like how, how does it how does it change? Uh, just for like, you know, this would be interesting to anybody who's, you know, uh, an, an entrepreneur, like say, who thinks of, building something similar <laughs> <laughs> hopefully not but, yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but that is a great question and let me step back um a little bit because it's it's very important to understand like we like the poc is done on a i would say closed i would name it closed data set which you yeah. know is provided by the customer which yeah. is gathered under certain circumstances and in some cases especially when we look into the manufacturing environment for example mm -hmm. the battery the battery yep. testing environment yeah we would see that we have um not much variety in that data set even though that is part of our sampling strategy that we tell our customers you know you want to get a broad range of you know appearances of those images to to you know build that in initial model a certain um, robustness in but mm -hmm. You know, it can happen, and that's especially in, in manufacturing environment, um, often the case that we get a very, you know, a very thin domain, let's put it that way. So that is quite, you know, specific, and we, we, we don't really have, you know, a lot of changes in the appearance of that images. Because there's one detector, one X-ray detector, um, you know, one radiation source, and it's, you know, for that particular data set, which is, is, is quite specific. What can happen is that, you know, they change the detector, for example, in the same um, mm. application. And that alters the appearance of the image a little bit. So shifts the gray values a little bit on the X-ray and it just yeah. changes the appearance. And what we experience is that that can cause, you know, quite severe changes in the performance of the model, which is oh, yeah. not as bad, but it can happen. And it is something that we have to counteract somehow. Yep. And so, you know, from the experience that we got from the really, you know, bringing AI to life, let's put it that way, you always need the capability to have a continuous data stream from the actual process to mm. feed that into the initial trained model and, you know, build up robustness and get into generalization, which is, I would say, the, all, the, the ultimate aim and, you know, of building a computer vision model. So... Um, you need a capability in your software systems that gives you the the uh, the chance to you know use that continuous data stream from the actual process and feed that back into your um, AI models to make it more robust, and that's a process that you have to explain to your customer. Yeah. Because what the customers <laughs> expect is, I give you a data set, you train your model, and then, you know, all good. Yeah. I all give good, you good. Yeah. all good, and it's working. Yeah. And. Um, so I always try to explain to our customers that, you know, AI is a, is more of a, um, I wouldn't call it a journey really, but it's, you know, yeah. it's, it's a certain path of a towards optimization. So it's not like building a mechanical machine in your production mm. environment, which is, you know, done yeah. all, which is finished, um, 
you know, manufactured, um, audited, it works and it will always work the same well, you know, the, the same way in the next 10 or 20 years. That's mm -hmm. not what happens with software. It's not what happens with AI models. So we need to have that, um, that drain, I would say, from the actual uh, productive process back into our systems to get to the point where we have a reliable AI model which works um, you know, in the way it should all the time and very robust. And that's something that we built into our software. So you know, once we have this AI system in place and we bring it into, in, into production, we talk about integration, right? Because it has to be running in a certain process. And what our customers get from us is not only the detection capability, which is mostly covered in a backend, um, um, uh, backend solution. They also get a front-end solution from us, uh, mm -hmm. which is part of our software, which allows them to you know, check for um, the model performance um, to really validate you know, how well is the model working in the production process. It also mm -hmm. gives them the capability to do the retraining by themselves. Because uh, one of the things that, you know, industrial companies, um, or which is, a, you know, it can be critical in the industrial world is, you know, being dependent on one supplier. And I totally understand that. So all the time, where when they see a certain drop in the quality, detection quality of the model, they don't want to call us and say, hey, do the retraining for us. Mm -hmm. You know, what they actually want is, you know, having a capability in our software where they can, you know, select certain images, do a re-annotation oh, okay, on the okay. image and then do the retraining by themselves. Mm, and that's something that gives uh, gives them a certain in independence from us, which is, um, you know, highly valued and um, yeah, one of the things that we learned quickly yeah. moving into the actual productive processes. Mm, I see. So, okay, so number one, the first, my first reaction is, you know, wow, you, that's a... Uh, the fact that they want to be independent and they want everybody, everything to be in-house in in the end, by the end of the day, like they don't want to be constantly sending you data and asking you to retrain stuff uh, is interesting because it completely changes the way you build the product and what you build into the product, right? Absolutely. Uh, for example, I was, you know, it's a, a funny story. So, um, you know, in Silicon Valley, most, the, in the Silicon Valley culture of software development, right, which is very popular in the recent uh, I think two decades or so, you have AI, like let's ship something. And then, you know, if it breaks, we will fix it, you know, in prod, like you, you have staging and prod always chasing each other. Right. And mm -hmm. uh, bugs are like part of the, part of the process. Like, yeah, we always have bugs, you know, no worries. You know, we'll just fix it later. And I was once talking to this guy, he's like a 60 something year old software engineer, and he's been building software for like 40 years or ish. Right. Uh, in America once. And, uh, you know, we were talking about how they people like the old school people, they don't like bugs at all. Like they're like, we will spend two more years on the product, even if that means we squeeze every last bug out of the system, right? Uh, as much as possible, of course. And the reason was because they're building plug, they were building plugins, which a person would download onto their computer and not really update for many, many years. Right? Back in the day. Like, for example, something for your Excel plugins or you know. Uh, some of the software, right? Uh, and they're like, if we if we mess up, right? Uh, you know th that customer is gonna have a bad experience for many years. Instead of just saying, yeah, like it's gonna be fixed to let, like I'm gonna submit a bug report and they're gonna update it next, you know, next week or something like that, right? So, just the fact that you are delivering something that is detached from your backend 
once it's in the customer's hands, completely changes the amount of investment you need to build into the robustness of the product, like you said. Absolutely, absolutely. That's a great example that you just mentioned. And um, what it actually also requires from you is not only you know certain changes or you know a, 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 a new way of thinking um, your product. It also requires you um, great documentation. So mm -hmm. you really have to yep. you know you have to you have to bring your customer into the position where he's um, very comfortable with you know doing stuff. Um, at their own responsibility because they are changing the detection model. And one of the things that, you know, might also happen is, or one of the fears they have is, you know, they make it even worse because mm. <laughs> those are not, you know, AI engineers, you know? Yeah. Those yeah. are people from the manufacturing or from the inspection world. So you really have, have to be good in, you know, um, transporting that confidence um, to the user and, um, you know, really building a process that they understand and a documentation that um, does not require, you know, ex extensive studying, I would say, mm -hmm. because, you know, that's another thing. Nobody has time um, in, in, in our industries. You know, they, they, they're not looking for, you know, additional processes or additional jobs they need to do during their day. So it has to be very easy, very simple, but still covering, you know, a highly complex topic, which is, you know, retraining and, AI detection model, which is not, yeah. you know, which is quite a technological thing. And, you know, putting that, you know, streamlined together into your software and also the documentation and how you interact with your customer is um, quite specific and um, new to the industry, which we're uh, serving. Because, you know, mm -hmm. they're mainly, you know, th these people are used to, um, you know, as I said, building machines um, or, you know, having suppliers building machines for them. They're getting mm -hmm. audited, finally checked, and then they are working. Software yeah. is not as big in the manufacturing, in the industrial world uh, that we are dealing with right now, which they are used to all these, you know, agile, interactive processes with their suppliers. Yeah, you're, you're actually almost building an entirely new product, you know, which is the retraining part, which is the do-it-yourself retraining system which I think I personally know some companies which are just focused on that part of the puzzle, like where, like how once a customer has a, you know, a model, like how do they easily retrain their own models with the data that they're collecting by themselves, right? That's alone is a software as a service type category. And you know, you kind of like to build an end-to-end -end solution, you're kind of having to build multiple products in the, under the same roof, yeah. uh, right? Which all need to be good, as good as each other. Yes, yes, absolutely right. Yeah. You know, one of the interesting things, just maybe one more point on that particular topic, is that we we do not believe um, in, you know, 100% self-service AI tools. So having that initial mm. model also trained by the customer. Um, because what we see yeah. a lot is that, you know, there has to be so much, you know, certain individual individualization in the you know based on the requirements that you know each customer has which needs you know deep ai expertise to do that but once the initial model is developed and it we're talking about the retraining and the whole pre-processing part um augmentation strategy is set then we can really give it you know into the the hands of the customer and um, you know make it work so 
And that's also, I know that there are certain tools out there which claim that, you know, um, to be self-service 100% and, you know, build, build your model from scratch. I see that for some applications from, from, from the, the inspection jobs that we automate, I, I, I don't see that as a, you know, solution which really fits the customer needs. Mm, I see. And, you know, that that's kind of uh, makes sense. And, you know, it brings me to the next question, which is, you probably talk to more manufacturing process engineers and whatnot than, you know, most software developer type company people, right? Um, and we've talked, we've touched on the theme of, you know, how modern or how outdated or how old their you know, legacy, let's call it, you know, it's a better word, like right? how legacy their systems are. Um, but you, t- you give me the, the state of the art, like what's really, how hard is it really, what's the status of most of the digital systems? in the factories that you work with, right? Where did you think that they would be by now and what's the real, real reality and how slow or how fast is the adoption of or, or the upgrading of these systems that they can actually start using more tools such as Centennial AI, right? What's the digital transformation journey like for these companies? That's a great question. And... Um probably a question where we could you know do a whole episode yeah uh, on podcast (laughs) so um yeah where do i start so let's say it again it differs a lot so you know since like i would say a big chunk of our customer the biggest chunk of our customer are enterprise customers so you know Mm -hmm. beyond one billion uh, in revenues um some of them have you know extensively invested into, you know, updating their IT uh, infrastructure. In some cases, um, you know, bringing things on the cloud, for example, um, using APIs, open system to be, you know, easily uh, in interaction with, you know, systems of, you know, third-party suppliers, whatever, Mm -hmm. like how you build modern IT architectures. Once we move our, you know, perspective into the specific world of manufacturing, so really being on the shop floor, um, being in that particular environment, in safety-critical um, environments also, so, you know, building parts which are quite, you know, um, critical and, you know, a certain IP also is, is, um, is, is implemented in how to produce those and, you know, stuff like that. We move away from that um, perspective of being open and you know sharing things easily. We're looking in a very uh, at a very proprietary software IT environment where we have specific solutions built for one particular customer by a certain supplier, which works in a very closed environment. Mm-hmm. And those are, I would say, the circumstances which you know are. Uh, actually the hardest to deal with because we have to do a lot of individual implementation there. Mm-hmm. We do that because we know that there are certain industries like the um, aviation industry, for example, um, yeah, which is, you know, highly concerned with, um, you know, privacy topics, which is yeah. absolutely okay. Um, and we understand that. So, you know, if you, want to realize your mission to automate or to bring AI systems into those processes, you have to be flexible on the topic of integration. That is the case. And we accept that. 
But yeah. we see certain industries, especially the petrochemical industry, and the and our customers are you know service companies that do the inspection for BP, Shell, Chevron, like the big operating companies. Yeah. And you know, being billion dollar businesses themselves, which are you know open up for those new technologies. And they understand it, which is a great thing that they have to establish systems where, for example, data sharing, also mm. from the critical processes, gets more easy to yeah. use technology like AI to build upon and, you know, unleash new value um, for the company. So there are, you know, very progressive streams in that particular industry that I see. Yeah. Um, so uh, we do have a customer, for example, that, you know, builds up... Um, his own um, cloud uh, environment, you know, using a third-party cloud, but, you know, applying that to their company, Mm -hmm. um, being very open, connecting, you know, systems from various um, departments uh, into that solution, also from quality control, where we can integrate and easily, you know, using APIs, which is a great thing because we have access to data there easily. We can use historic data, you know, which is stored in those systems, stuff like that. But it's really... Um, it, it, it's really differentiated throughout the industries and the particular branches mm-hmm. that we're looking at. So there is not one solution fits it all. Um, what, I mean, for obvious reasons, what we are trying to do is, you know, we highlight um, we highlight the advantages for our preferred solution, which would be on the cloud, doing the inference on the cloud and the retraining on the cloud. But we, are, we see that, you know, in some cases, uh, it it will be realized or can be realizable in the future, but it might yeah. take years to get there, right? And the yeah, question that's like is, a you know... CTO, that's like a CTO, CDO level discussion of how we do these abs- things. Absolutely. So the question is, you know, how quick do you want to engage with the customer and how long do you want to wait? And we always prefer, you know, getting into the processes um, quickly, show that we can br- really bring value to our customers and, you know, work harder on the integration part, but, you know be in place for scalability also once, you know, the IT environment changes. Mm-hmm. And um, like that's the strategic approach that we take um, regarding the integration topic. But it's highly diverse and it's definitely not like, not, you know, we are used to um, uh, things in our private life, you know, having, you know, cloud is everywhere, store our data there, um, mm-hmm. you know, have, having open systems. That's definitely not the environment you find uh, in the manufacturing or in the industrial world in most of the cases. Yeah, and you know that uh, kind of brings me to the question: the sales cycles for such a you know kind of a transformative you know intervention must be pretty long and complex, right? Because I mean, from my experience in you know in such kind of sales, like usually if it's so transformative like this one, where you you have to first sell the the actual manufacturing guys, like who actually care about the quality control, like they, they don't care about the digital system, they don't care about anything except for, can it do my job better or easier, right, uh, for me? So does it does the does the model actually work, right? And how easy it is, it is to retrain stuff. So that's the product cell there, and then there's the integration cell where it's like, okay, let's talk to the digital guys, right? Who, what can we? We have to convince them that we can integrate with them properly. And then it's like a two pronged. And then there's the business, you know, the commercial sale where people are want to drive down the price and the procurement guys are always the least fun to deal with in any case, right? Uh, in these kind of companies. So 
for some advice, for some generic advice to people who are also in the digital transformation space, right? Who are building a small part of the solution, like, you know, in the grand scheme of things. Who are the typical champions? Like, who do you see as in the sales process? You already had a few champions, right? What, uh, what's been, what, what have been your biggest lessons in that journey mm-hmm. with these customers? Amar, that's a great question. And um, I would say one of the things that we um, learned most in, you know, during the last uh, couple of years, um, you know, working with Sentence. So I think the the number one lesson learned, which I made was, um, or is that, you know, make, make it strategic. Your topic, even though you're, you know, you're, um, you know, working, you know, on a very particular problem in manufacturing, for example. When we talk about digital transformation, AI, technologies connected. Yeah, all the buzzwords, that, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we have to, you know, as salesperson uh, people, we have to make it strategic because the um, the people who, uh, who will decide about, you know, whether to do a project with you or not, will be the CEOs or the general managers in the company. Because once we talk about new technologies, there is also a certain, you know, field of risk associated with that. Yeah. And so, you know, normally it's, it will be a strategic decision somehow. So in our case, um, since, you know, we are coming from, from the uh, field of AI, it's, it's really the question, do we want to dig into the topic of AI yeah. for our um, process automation? Mm-hmm. And that's like the first decision that yeah. you need that needs to be taken before you know any business can start. Yeah, and yeah. you your job is to get that decision as quickly as possible. Get mm-hmm. to the people who can actually make that decision. Yeah, so how do you get there? It you know that's one of the hardest lessons probably that I learned <laughs> is you, you you really need to find um I would call it you know maybe a, a million dollar problem or even a 10 or a hundred million dollar problem because mm. strategic topics, you know, or, or you don't get a strategic attention when, you know, sol- solve a problem, which is for a whole company worth, you know, a couple of 10,000 or hundred thousands of dollars. It's not going to work. Yeah. So you really have to find customers and companies that have that, you know, a, really, a, you know, a problem which is worth a lot of money because then you yeah. get, the chance to to move on to the strategic level, yeah, and um, make it actually a big project or be, become part of a big project which is already in place, because the enterprise customers, you know, often already have you know digital transformation budgets, which mm-hmm. you know, uh, with sometimes millions of dollars, where you can you know easily get into or become part of those big strategic projects. But what does not work that well, and that's also another hard lesson, is to, to solve the whole business topic and also, you know, who is getting paid what when yeah. on, you know, on that on that basis, uh, basic work level um, mm-hmm. with the people who are actually working in the process and will be using your product. That yeah. is, you know, of high risk for you as a supplier because what might happen is that, you know, the strategic decision for a solution like yours is being made on the general management level already with one of your competitors. Even though the people on the basis, they like your solution Mm. and they do have, you know, a certain influence 
on the decision making. But um, since there are, you know, sometimes one or two hierarchical levels between them, the communication is not down to the to the basic level. And you know, the decision is already made, and there won't be any budget for your solution, even though the people like it. Wow. So yeah. try to bake it as strategic as possible, mm-hmm. and then move your way down to the shop floor level because it is I very see. important that the people like your solution absolutely because they will be the ones you know being asked by the managers you know is it something you really see um, a benefit in for yeah, your do you work? want to use this or not right do you want to use this yeah <laughs> absolutely but it's you know it's 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 really when to do what and you have to have that strategic decision first to move down, then, you know, doing the bottom-up process, you know, convincing the people on the work level and then move up to, to general management. This is really hard to do and sometimes, you know, uh, quite devastating when you have, you know, invested months mm. um, into convincing um, um, people and, you know, presenting your solution, doing consulting and, you know, doing a big part of the actual, like, data gathering and testing and building stuff for Absolutely. them before you get into the commercial yes no closing side and then somebody else takes the you know yeah. Absolutely. And yeah. I mean it it can take one and a half, two years to get that strategic decision. But what we yeah. figured out is, you know, um try to move uh, you know to that strategic um level as quick as possible. That will speed up the sales process dramatically. Not what you do on, on the work level, you know, about convincing because you have to be there at the right, you have to be at the right time at the right place. That's really critical, especially for, you know, technologic um, companies like ours. Mm-hmm. So you really have to, you know, sense if there's, you know, a strategic decision process going on where, you know, your topic might be um, well to fit into. And you have to, you know, sense that, that's, that, that time within a company. And that's something that we learned in the in the last couple of years, and that I would I would also always advise to people, you know, doing B two B industrial um, tech sales. Okay, yeah, that's a great point and a great uh, learning, and uh, you know, because the sales process also drives like a lot of the discussions about the runway, you know, like how much you invest in the POC, like everything is connected, right? When you're running a company like this, like yours, a lot of these things are connected. Right, and so I'm going to throw another wrench in the, into the mix, and I'm going to ask you another sensitive question uh, about the since you're talking about the strategic level, right? So I'm going to talk to you about the competitive landscape in a way where now the question is: Okay, uh, you have the quality inspection and process improvement, right, as the problem you're trying to solve, and one of the ways to solve this is to improve the inspection part, right? Uh, where you use computer vision and all these technologies. Now, in another quadrant within the same, uh, or in the same quadrant, but in another solution space, there are also many companies that focus on predictive maintenance. So instead of actually the inspection side, or they focus on, let's say, the overall process, the quality of the, you know, out the product and whatnot, and then they kind of use other data points, other data sources to, instead of saying like, hey, that's already quite long before you, for example, one of my previous episodes, um, 
they're like, okay, by the time it gets to the inspection stage, it's already quite late. And uh, you've spent a lot of money building a lot of product, which is already out there and which has to be discarded uh, because of something that went wrong. Instead, you want to go upstream in the solution and say, okay, when uh, is it more like most likely to break? So schedule the maintenance or repairs or whatever beforehand. So you, they use machine learning for a more, much more predictive side, right? Since you're at the strategic level, and uh, so that's one part of the question. And overall, like let's talk about the competitive landscape, whether it's a solution-wise, not exactly your particular, who else is doing what you're exactly doing, but more like from a strategic standpoint, what other alternatives they have? Um, and how do you see your position, your carve in the market? Mm-hmm. So let's start with the second part of of your question um, first. Um, So what is our um, competitive landscape um, like? So um, I think it is quite clear that, you know, computer vision companies are not pretty rare in the world. You know, there are lots of startups, um, tech companies that, you know, use computer vision technology to automate some sort of, you know, vision task, which might be, you know, in the field of autonomous driving, in the field of quality mm-hmm. control of product services, for example, there are a lot of German companies doing that. And um, so, so, so there is that part of the competition. Um, yeah. We see our USP regarding, or, or, you know, in terms of that part of the competition in the field of, um, you know, having or automating those safety critical processes because there the technology Mm. of computer vision is not sufficient alone. We need to consider that um, about, I would say 90, 95% of computer vision research and what, you know, the technologies and the methods that we're using today um, in most cases work quite well on, you know, uh, camera, 8-bit RGB data. We do Mm. have, um, especially in the radiographic uh, world, you know, a couple of, of things going on in the medical um, industry, which uh, proved to be working. But for the industrial application of radio radiography, for example, there is, you know, I would say close to nothing um, existing, uh, you know, on a technological level, which works um, from, you know, using methods of computer vision. So um, mm. that is the USP in the competitive landscape towards all the other tech companies in the computer vision field that we, you know, found our niche in because it requires a high understanding of, you know, what processes are actually being utilized in that particular industry and what kinds of, you know, visual data is actually produced and what is Mm -hmm. the, um, the, the, the procedure of doing the interpretation, which is quite unique for that specific industry as well. Because you have all that standards on, you know, how image quality um, should be, what to look for, and how to evaluate the findings based on a certain specification and standard, which is quite specific. Also, it is a traditional industry, and you need... So like the pure access to an industry like that and to the companies is, you know, very hard to get. So it's it's quite a sales effort that we, you know, took in the last couple of years to actually get to that strategic level and to get the market positioning 
in that particular yeah. market that we are you know respected as a tech company in that particular space that is not yeah. that easy in a in a in a in an industry where which is quite traditional and where you know existing players um do most of the business but yeah. uh we managed um and that's something you know we are very proud it's of it's always an ongoing process yeah absolutely so that is that is the part of the computer vision um and we really adapted our technology to you know being capable of analyzing that particular data with all the you know circumstances all the requirements we had to meet for that particular yeah. industry so that's that's the usp um we built regarding that particular part of the competition we do have existing mm -hmm. players in the in 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 our you know um safety critical inspection world which do build um, software for automating digital radiography interpretation, for example, but mm -hmm. they, um, you know, in, in most of the cases, they're, they they don't have AI capabilities in house, and they more come from a hardware side. So the software is just attached to a certain hardware, which way mm, they I sell. Um, yeah. So it's really hard for those companies to build up AI exp expertise and also the software framework to actually make it work. All the retraining stuff, like it's not yeah. about you know just building the models. It's it's about you know building an environment to to make the make those models work, and that's something yeah. we yeah. specialize in and that I don't see in the competitive landscape taking yeah. place at all. I love that quote by the way: "Building the environment where the model is supposed to work." Yeah, I'm going to use that in the future. Okay. Okay. Um, so, so that's that's like the, I would say the 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 other um, the other extreme of the competitive landscape, and of mm. course we do have big companies um, in the inspection services field which also build you know work on our on those topics by themselves. So they have you know um, tech centers um, hiring data scientists, AI experts to you know build solutions themselves, uh, which also is a, you know, alternative to, um, you know, cooperating with Sentin. What we see is that, and I would be quite broad on that, you know, about 98% of those endeavors happening in-house are focusing on building the AI models, not the environment for them. Why is that? Because you know, most of the time, they these companies don't really have a lot of experience with building software, and mm -hmm. software which is you know repetitively used, and um, so like the mindset in most cases is you know once I have a great model for well seam testing, then I'm done. You know, I solved the problem. But um, since we started you know getting in touch with those topics you know quite some time ago, we 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 figured out that it's actually the environment that we have to build the infrastructure. To make AI models thrive in a certain way, uh, which is, you know, uh, probably more of an asset for for a company like ours than the actual AI models, because the AI models, you know, the technology is is quite advanced. Uh, building AI models, um, not in the particular field of you know radiography testing, but um, you know there are things out there that you can use, and you need the data, and then you know most of the time you get you know decent models, but those models won't work in the productive. Um, environment because they are not robust, they're not generalized, and you don't have the actual infrastructure to work towards that goal. So, and that's the actual 
you know, resolve that most of the big companies having dealt with those topics for quite some time come up with. They, they say, okay, we need an expert in that, you know, really bringing AI models to life. And we see you, Sentin, as, as, um, as these experts. So um, that's not, you know, really a strong competition that I see. It's more, uh, you know, in some cases, it's also a great collaboration because you can, you know... Um, build on mutual products uh, pr projects together. So this this you mean? So this you mean about um, when they're developing stuff in house, or is this about the predictive maintenance side, which we which you need to get to? No. So so that was that was the second part of your question. So that was okay. like the the broad competitive okay. landscape. Okay, okay. In the company, in, so is that in the vision landscape alone? Yeah. The whether they yeah. are building. Okay. So, so that's the build versus buy thing. You know, beyond Absolutely. just the where to buy from, it's like now getting the build versus buy. Again, there you have to just add value as a consultative process. Like, hey, we really get it. We've already done all the hard work. You know, we're gonna make it better than what you can yourselves and all that stuff. Okay. At the like the first part of your question is a very interesting one, um, and um, yeah, let me try to answer this as um, you know. As, um, as precise as possible. You so know, let's start with, so to help you, let's start with what you've heard them say about this discussion or what, what you've come across so far in the discussion. Uh, yeah, I mean, there are companies um, out there which, you know, have predictive maintenance as the value that they, you know, transfer to a customer. So they say you can predictively... Hmm. Um, you know, maintain your your assets. Uh, for example, in a, in a petrochemical plant, um, you can see you know what part of pipes will fail in a certain time frame, whatsoever. And predictive maintenance for me is um, you know all, all, all the predictive topics, like the the topics that we are mostly confronted is predictive quality, because that's yeah. the ultimate goal that customers want. They don't just want to check for quality. They want to have perfect quality in their production because the whole yeah. process is that much optimized that there's all only um, perfect quality uh, coming out of, of yeah. the process. And actually that's all our goal too. We definitely want to uh, like like that's the ultimate solution should be in that particular frame. But we have to see that we have to we have to to do to take certain steps to get to that goal. You know, there's a Forbes article. I don't, I forgot the name, but maybe, maybe you can reference that on on on, on those show notes, um, which yep. is about the steps towards digital transformation. Okay. And um, I really like that article because it says basically first you have to digitize dot documents, then you have to digitize processes, and then you can digitize business models, or really work on the particular front on, on a digital transformation. When I look into the industry, I see that there's some digitization being done on the, on the document side, some digitization being done on the processes side, a lot of you know, strategic endeavors pointing at the digital transformation side without having the basis mm. actually in place. And I think we can only come, you know, come to a certain point where we can talk about predictive quality if we have you know first digitized and automated processes which are being done manually so we have to have a what certain is that? so 
So just to make sure we don't get lost in the in the you know terminology, mm-hmm. let's talk about a concrete case. Let's say a factory somewhere which does let's say oil an oil refinery or whatnot. When you talk about digitizing documents and then process and then business models, how do how do they how do how do these words take a concrete shape, concrete meaning? Yeah. So for like a very concrete example would be um, today um, I have or I check for corrosion. Um, under insulation on pipes on a you know interval basis so regular basis yep. doing that you know um, every two years on certain positions where might be some corrosion you know based on yep. historic data i could predict where to do um where to do those inspections and only do i don't know 10 percent of all the inspection i've been doing all the years because i know yeah you know it's very probable that you know corrosion is taking place in that particular part which saves me a lot of time and a lot of effort yep. So that would be predictive maintenance in that particular, um, 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 Mm -hmm. in our particular industry. But I can only build, you know, predicting algorithms, for example, if I have, you know, a sufficient data set, which reaches back a couple of years, a couple of, you know, circles of of maintenance in the past. And to Mm. get to what's that point where I have a sufficient databases where I can, you know, do predictive stuff on. I need to have a certain databases and where to, how do I get to the certain databases? Um, I don't believe in, you know, telling your customers, oh, you have to, you know, build archives and, um, you know, store all your data digitally. Uh, In some cases, you actually have to digitize the process first. So not having the human being looking at, you know, physical radiographic images, but firstly doing the digitization of that process or of that, uh, right? And, yeah. The, the customer is only willing to do that if he gets a certain value from it. And the yeah. value is in the automation. So I have to do the mm. automation first to get to the point where I build up sufficient data sets to do the predictive stuff. So I see that uh, as I a quite, I see that on you know on a on a on a time scale. And I think we mm. we, we shouldn't be too um or it's it's like there's a certain risk one if we really okay, talk about sense. predictive maintenance today and we, we don't really have the circumstances which are required to get to a predictive maintenance um, solution, for example, uh, what might happen is that the customers expect from AI companies like us to deliver predictive maintenance in six months, which you know might be a case in certain applications where I have you know, high data frequencies. I don't know. But in our yeah, case, yeah, yeah. We, we just don't have the sufficient data for that. We need time and we need those endeavors beforehand to get to the point where we can be predictive. And Mm, um, then it it also unleashes great value for our customers. But we have to be very realistic on that particular topic. Mm -hmm. I see. So, so I think I think that's a great, that's a very interesting point. Um, And to summarize that for anybody you know who's not able to keep up, uh, the thing is telling a customer like, hey. You know, there's two ways you could improve your quality. One is by predicting when to do maintenance, and the other is by doing better inspections, right? So let's say, let's say in, in a crude way, let's say that those are the two op- two options, right? Now, to do better inspections, the only changes you have to make internally to the way you do things is instead of you know putting that image which you inspect in front of a person you put it on a computer screen and then run through it, run it through an ai 
model, which is software you can install on the system and then at the same time show to the person, right? And they can make changes, they can play with it, right? That's the only, that's a very small block that you change in terms of what you do with a process. But to tell them like, hey, to do predictive maintenance, first you need a database. <laughs> you need to set up the database, you need to collect data from all, from many different places, many different sensors um, for two years or for one year, for whatever, you know, however, depending on what kind of process you have. And then you need to b train models on all that data right and keep training it forever and have that running in the background all the time and then you'll be able to predict a little bit about when you do want to do predict maintenance and we're not even sure if it's going to work right we, because it's predictive maintenance is a pretty hard job like depending on the Absolutely. manufacturing process you have to find where is the most best spot where's the best uh, junction to predict to do prediction because you don't want to predict something that can't be predicted or which there's no value in predicting, right? So there's not there's also a lot of domain knowledge. I mean, you also need domain knowledge to actually do inspections, but there's a lot more holistic domain knowledge. So the sales cycles are a nightmare as well, right? Um, yeah, that makes sense. You know, you kind of it's an easy way to get in, get your foot in the door with a lot more factories in a way. Yeah. Uh, then, but of course, there's like some factories where visual inspections are not even a thing, right? Let's say you're uh, for example, if you're in the dairy industry and you just need, you need to actually do a microbe, you know, kind of uh, culture and then do chemical testing to see if the milk is good or if it's contaminated and you can, predictive maintenance is just much easier. But it seems like for a lot of factories, it, it, so it kind of boils down to the type, the, how the, the manufacturing market itself is set up, right? Where is the most, like how many people are actually doing visual inspections, the kind of thing that you're talking about uh, versus how much, how easier it is to actually just do predictive maintenance and, you know, start with that uh, directly. Is that a good summary? I don't know. I, I just keep Absolutely. rambling about how Absolutely. <laughs> no, no, no. That's, that, that, that was actually a great summary and um, it really highlights the points that I, I, I definitely want, wanted to mention. It's, um, I think that, I mean, for obvious reasons, everyone's chasing predictive maintenance because, you know, the Im imagination of having a solution that actually does that is, you know, bringing so much values to a multiples of industries. But, yeah. you, you know, I think we have to be, especially as suppliers of technology, we have to be very rational and we have to ask ourselves, can we deliver that value with our solutions in a certain time frame which is acceptable for our customers can we actually do that yeah. because yes and also for the accountant because he's gonna deal with the long sales cycles <laughs> absolutely absolutely and i don't i just see it quite critical that you know you have you know a number of big companies having done projects on predictive maintenance that you know turned out to be not working and being devastating um and don't want to touch that topic again maybe in some time in the future where you have the um, you know all the uh, circumstances, all the requirements in place where you could actually build great predictive maintenance solutions, um, because you just started with the topic too early without having the the basis to do that, and that's you know something which I think mm -hmm. is quite critical. So you've seen in most of the in most of the market, you know, the digital systems are still in their infancy, 
Yes, because that, we that we're working in absolutely, absolutely, and but I mean it's it's a great driver towards digitization if you have that you know vision of having predictive quality, having predictive maintenance, and you know which is automatically putting those endeavors on a strategic level, right? Because it, you can save <laughs> millions, hundreds of millions with solutions like that. But you have to be quite humble with you know going into markets and saying, hey. We have predictive maintenance and we can, you know, have systems in place at your facility in two months and it works. Um, there are applications where, you know, this is definitely possible. You just named them. But um, in some industries, they are not. And, you know, people are mixing that broad topic or all, all those applications together under the, uh, you know, headline predictive maintenance, which is quite mm. specific um, depending on what's the actual application in the industry you're working in. So you have to be, mm, you know, quite sensitive with using that buzzword uh, today and, yeah. and, and position yourself as a solution provider for predictive maintenance solutions. That's at least mm, what I think. That makes a lot of sense. That makes a lot of sense. And uh, I'm glad that we had this discussion because, you know, you don't talk, you don't hear about this very often. <laughs> uh but I think the worst thing that tech companies can do is, you know, rising the expectations of your customers and then making them fall into, you know, a certain type of canon because you can't deliver the solution. Um, mm. yep. And this is it's yep. breaking my heart to see, you know, customers that have um, dealt with great topics, invested lots of money in them and, you know, failed heavily because um, there were just, you know, wrong promises being made by the suppliers. And, mm. you know, in most cases, the companies in the industrial world, they don't have the com competences to actually, you know, to, to, to really judge on, on, on the solutions that we're, we're supplying. So there's a lot of trust uh, being lost once that happens. And that's something that, that you know, uh, that shouldn't be in that way. Yeah. Well, uh, Christian, thank you so much for you know sharing all this wisdom and hard-earned knowledge uh with the, the listeners today i'm sure that anybody who's listening got a lot of value uh which they cannot i I'm, i can guarantee they cannot find this anywhere else right the discussion that we just had and uh, so thank you so much for appearing on the episode and for anybody looking to be uh, by the way are you do you have any fundraising plans anytime for any investors listening um yes so we're uh, not for now. So we are we are about to close our, our uh, you know next finance round by probably the end of January, start of February. So um, and mm -hmm. we we have the investors in place for that, but we're planning to raise capital again approximately by the start of 2023. Um, so mm -hmm. um, yeah, would love to get in touch with you know listeners. A B C like like what? That would be Series A then. Okay, that would be Series A. Well, how how long have you been in business? Three years. Three years. So wow, we, we, that's, we that's been a long slog, man. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Uh, we made lots of experiences, and um, you know, um, we're able to 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 really build up our technology and getting paid for that. But we see a certain growth tra uh, trajectory now that we we definitely need to follow, and um, that's why we are you know seeking um, external uh, funding opportunities for that. Mm -hmm. um, makes sense so uh, sentin.ai which is going to be in the show notes is the website for uh, for Christian's company and 
again, thank you so much and uh, looking forward to chatting more about this in the future. Aman, thank you very much for having me. Um, get in touch. Um, you can find me on LinkedIn. Um, yeah, would love to, you know, build up on the discussions that we have to, had today. And um, yeah, thanks for having me again. And uh, it was a great pleasure. Thank you very much.